I was determined to just keep following up. So I had a system of emailing him every eight days. So like one week, it would be Monday. And then one week, the next week it would be Tuesday. And I think I emailed him like nine times. Like it just became like a habit. Like every week I would send a follow-up email. Welcome to the Stolen Hours Podcast. Conversations with known and unknown creative or passion-driven people whose mild-mannered alter egos range from postal workers to teachers to salespeople to moms and dads to husbands and wives just getting life done but in a creative way the following is episode eight the freelance travel journalist the photographer the writer jamie de toronto you're enjoying these conversations subscribe write us a review on itunes follow us on instagram at the stolen hours podcast or just follow online at www.thestolenhourspodcast.com enjoy the episode Jamie D. Taranto, a freelance travel journalist who explores the world through writing and photography. After graduating with a creative writing degree, love of travel brought her to the world of travel journalism, where she started as an intern at smartertravel.com and worked her way up to an editor role overseeing social media and video in addition to writing. And Jamie is another of my former students, um, definitely many years beyond high school now, and uh, just glad to welcome her to the podcast today. Hello, Jamie. Hi. How Hello. you doing? Good. Good. It's going good. good. Awesome. Uh, where are you in the world in your travel life? I am in Mexico. I am in Tulum, uh, which is about two hours south of Cancun. And it's kind of like a big tourist destination. Um, yeah. So got out of got out of the U.S. after after a long, long lockdown. Yeah. How long were you uh, back in the U.S. before you um, traveled? Yeah. I was, so before the pandemic, I was traveling full time. And then I had to, I happened to have to come home like a year ago, last March. And then that's when everything shut down. And I was in my grandmother's house living with my family for about like six, six months. And then I went to Portland, Oregon for three months before going to Mexico. So I was about, I was back in the U.S. for like about nine months. Nice, nice. Now, prior to that, I I remember reading somewhere about 365 days of travel for you. So. Yeah, it was. Um, well, it wasn't 365 days of travel. It was a 365 day photo a day project. So for I think yeah, in 2018, um, yeah, on New Year's Day, I randomly decided that I would take one photo a day uh, with my. DSLR and post it to Instagram, like no matter what, um, like whatever I got that day. Cause before that I had been doing like a lot of reposting from like old trips. And I kind of wanted to challenge myself to like keep my camera on me and take a photograph of a new thing every day and post it, even if it was like a crappy photograph. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I, I did not know about that aspect of your, 
your your year before COVID. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So every day, a, a new image of wherever you were. That's great. Yeah, it was very that's challenging a, sometimes. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Um, so it's wonderful to have you on this uh, podcast. You know, you're someone who, um, you know, as far as I remember, I don't believe I invented this memory. I remember you saying, "I want to travel and write." and do photography that was like a goal of yours in high school did i invent that or was that real i don't know i mean i remember <laughs> saying that in college um i don't know maybe i sort of forgot that was one of my i remember saying that in college and after i graduated but i can't remember it going that far back i mean i've always wanted to sure. travel more and like i've always had the travel bug and then i traveled I did a, while I was in high school, I did like a three week exchange in Germany over one summer. So it, so that definitely like set that, you know, a light. Um, sure. But I can't remember specifically wanting to be a travel writer in high school. I knew I wanted to like yeah. write. And I think I wanted to do all those three things separately, but I don't know if yeah. I like had conceived that I could do them all together. As a job. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So, I, I mean, part of why I wanted you to have to come on is is because you've kind of integrated your your passions. Um, I'm sure there's still a, a version of the stolen hours for you, like, you know, mm -hmm. where you get to do your most passionate self. Um, but for sure, you've integrated those things, those those three things that you in, always wanted to do and into a job, into a career, which is pretty great. So mm -hmm. it's pretty awesome to see that. And it's possible that on an alumni visit, you said these words to me. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> maybe back in the day yeah. maybe maybe so well either way um go let's go back before i ever met you before you were ever in my documentary for social change class back okay. in the day um and photo classes um when was uh, the first time when you were a kid who when these these ideas came into your mind where you might want to be someone who had the chance to travel and to photograph or or even just to, to write so is there a moment in your your young life there where you felt like uh you you found something that you were hooked on in these yeah, worlds i think it was actually like not honestly not even that much before i was a student in your class because i always loved i wasn't really good at school and i didn't really you know write stories as a kid but i was always like I always loved to read. And then especially in middle school was when I sort of like took a deep dive into books. And I was always like fascinated with um, reading. And I guess my like youngest memory is being like a little kid. And I used to watch like the Hooked on Phonics commercials would come on the TV. I don't know if anyone remembers those, but like there were these like video. Yeah, they were like VHS courses you could get for like kids who were struggling to read in school, but I was like, I didn't, you know, I wasn't at the point in school where they taught us how to read yet. And I would just beg my mom to like buy it for me because I wanted to be able to read so badly. Wow. Um, and I also remember once like my mom was like, she must have been like working at the computer or something. And I had like a notebook and I started writing down letters that I knew and I would show it to her and I'd be like, does this say anything? Like, you know, and like it just, it would just be like yeah, A, yeah. Q, Z. Like I really, so like wanting to be able to understand words was something from really young. Um, yeah. I don't, but I wasn't really like, I don't know if it was creative, but I, I guess it was more of like a fascination with language. 
Sure. Well, that's that's a that's a beginning, and I think you know, as a communicator now, I think it probably does go back to you know maybe just a, a bit of your nature. You know, maybe yeah. there's some nurture there too. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this idea that you were fascinated with language. I, some of my kids have that, and my my youngest daughter right now, she'll do the same. She'll say, "What does it say, Dad?" And it's mm-hmm. it's not even letters yet. You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, or uh, you know, it's and I'm like. Well, that's as good. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, or we'll make up some imaginative version of, well, that says that you really love me. <laughs> and she's like, yes, it does, Dad. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, and so that's cool. So there's so there's a desire to learn to read before you could read. I love that. That's kind of yeah. an awesome start. And um, then ne- now to be a writer who's professionally doing it. It's fun. Yeah. It's and I think I only, the thing that sort of got me more into writing was, um, I mean, I was reading a lot in middle school, but I was never, I wasn't a really good student, like in middle school, like I never did my homework. Like I was just never interested in like doing work. And like, I remember we had all these like book reports that we had to do. And even though I was reading like two books a week, I just wasn't doing them. Um, And I was like, not getting good (laughs) grades. And my mom finally like, you know, brought the hammer down and like took some, I, I think I lost computer privileges or something. And I started doing doing my work and um my eighth grade teacher like you know um once I started writing um she sort of said like wow you're actually a good um or she noticed that like I had a ability for writing and I think that's what motivated me to like sort of explore that just getting that like praise at an early age um or like recognition for something I wrote and like opening up that possibility of like I already loved books but like opening up the possibility that I could, you know, create something that was so like immersive. Yeah, that's great. So that so this encouragement really hits like in eighth grade where you, your your mom's like doing the job of mom and saying, all right, you, you're not going to be able to do this unless you, right, you do your yeah. work. And exactly. so it the opportunity for, for your teacher to recognize like, oh, you're actually good at this. I thought you were... <laughs> yeah we're never gonna get a higher grade (laughs) yeah so encouraged I think there's something yeah I mean if you're if you're someone who reads a ton of books uh writing I think does you know even without maybe trying there's a a natural inclination to know how to put it together I you know I know that's not natural for everyone but I'd say that's that's something for sure I I think that happens you know yeah there's definitely something um, there's definitely something to niche, like knowing when something sounds right or sounds good, which sort of yeah. comes in. Like if I'm yeah. editing someone else's work, it's sort of like knowing how something should sound or how I think it should sound is something like I can't really explain to people. Yeah. Um, probably the same, like, but I'm not good at math. So like, it's kind of like, I imagine like when someone's trying to explain math to me, like it's kind of explaining that's how I would feel explaining why this word sounds better this way or why, you know, I guess I could break that down eventually. Like, I don't really know what I'm saying, but. <laughs> well, I, I yeah. Think- so it's, you're, you're, you're trying to articulate like the editing process, you know, and how, you know, right. you feel it more than you can say how, why you feel it. Right. You're like, yes. I know this doesn't sound right, but I couldn't tell you why yet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I think that's probably comes with time. I think, you know, for me, even, being a teacher and an educator is what taught me how to say <laughs> what it is that I'm doing. You know, um, mm-hmm. when I say, you know, I, I can I can break it down now to like 
not just subjective um, opinions, but really some objective things you know, like this, this creates balance because of X, Y, and Z, or there is no balance because of X, Y, and Z. Right. And so that's for, for editing photography or for sure there's, there's still a like and a dislike, a preference and an aesthetic, you know, desire, but mm-hmm. you know, that, that might come, you know, with a little more subjectivity, but there is kind of a, you know, this doesn't work because of this or that. I mean, you know, things like Grammarly now have artificial intelligence to tell us why. <laughs> right. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, there were probably something that I, I think being a teacher has definitely given me the language or even the technical, you know, I know what an F stop is more than I ever did when I was just making art, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and uh, depth of field controls, et cetera. Right. So I, and so for you, you go to school, um, you graduated high school and went to college. Where did you go to college? I went to Emerson College in Boston. Okay. And there you went in as a, a creative writing major right away? Yeah. So the major they have there is called writing literature publishing. So it's kind of confusing because it sounds like three different majors, but it's kind of all one thing, mm-hmm. um, sure. which appealed to me because of the, it appealed to me because of it had this sort of like publishing part tagged on. So it set, it felt like a little bit more um, productive Maybe, well, maybe I shouldn't say productive. It felt a little bit more practical than like saying I was an English major. Because, um, sure. you know, also at the time that like I was going to college, there was a lot more, or maybe there still is sort of like jokes about, you know, getting you can't do anything with a degree in English kind of thing. Uh, so I really, I was drawn to the writing workshops that I could do there and also the ability to learn a little bit about the publishing industry too. Though yeah. I don't really know that I, did <laughs> i don't know if i should say that about my school but um, yeah well, but it definitely gave me you know, opportunities yeah it's it's always opportunities and you know schools want to they give you that little like practical piece especially with creative things like hey we're gonna help you get employed even in the the, the major title right yeah publishing we're gonna get you published um but for sure it's it's complicated and, and one of those ever changing industries for sure mm-hmm. um and that's that's definitely real. Um, so you you graduate. How how long ago did you graduate from college? I graduated December twenty fourteen. So I was a semester so one semester early. Yeah, but class nice. of twenty fifteen, yeah. but technically twenty fourteen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so you're not that far away from there, but for sure you've forged a path. So let's hear about um, how do you how do you end up in Mexico in two thousand twenty one as a freelance travel writer yeah it's been a it's been a long journey I mean sometimes it feels like yesterday and then I stop to think about everything that's happened since then um but basically when I graduated college and I was still living in Boston um and I knew I wanted to do something in travel because for my thesis I wrote a collection of nonfiction essays and they were almost all from moments of traveling, from like trips I had taken. Um, so I sort of knew that that's where my writing had like ended up over these four years of college in this like travel nonfiction world. So I just started looking for jobs with anything to do with travel and writing, um, you know, social media related jobs. And at the same time that I was sort of looking for jobs, I had built a website um, for my work and 
I put some photos I had up there from an old from old trips and I had like a little blog that wasn't really very popular like it had like you know eight hits on it totally but I put all my stuff up there and I was also saving up for a trip to go to Iceland at the after my graduation ceremony so I got a second job and I was saving for that trip and then went to Iceland and I put up stuff from that and so as I was applying for jobs like I sort of had a place that I could send people to like see my writing and my photos nice um which I definitely recommend to everyone looking for a kind of creative job is having a place where people can go see it or working on it before you're getting paid for it. Um, And anyway, so I eventually saw a listing for Smarter Travel. They were hiring an editorial assistant uh, and I applied through their massive, you know, HR portal Um, And I never heard back, but I found the email for the editor there. Um, And I emailed him and to just follow up on my application. And he never replied, but I was determined to just keep following up. So I had a system of emailing him every eight days. So like one week, (laughs) it would be Monday. And then one week, the next week, it would be Tuesday. And I think I emailed him like, nine times, like it just became like a habit, like every week, I would send a follow up email. Um, and eventually he wrote back and he was like, you are persistent. Um, your resume never got through, but you can send it to me. So I did. Um, and yeah. And then from there they called me in at that point, that position had already been filled, but then they offered me a paid internship that would be 40 hours a week. So I was able to do that. And I left my waitressing job and transitioned into office life. Uh, all right. That's awesome. I love your persistence. This seems to be a theme amongst some of my old students who who kind of <laughs> did did what they wanted to do. It was just, I'm not going to give up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and not, I love the eight day rule. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And I always, I wanted to hit him at like a different time of day and week just because, you know, everyone has different schedules. Um, I don't yeah. know if that would have worked out in the strategy. Uh, but yeah. And he ended up being a really great boss too. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. I was going to say, was there, a, he, he was not just seeing you as the annoying emailer. You guys had a good yeah. report. That's great. <laughs> we did. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, wow, so, um, nonfiction ends up what you end up doing. Is that what you read as a kid and what you loved or was it not no. was fiction what you loved? No, I loved fiction. I loved fantasy, young adult books. Um, You know, my mom, uh, I didn't really go to the library very often because I loved getting new books. And, you know, my mom would just be, she would just buy them for me because she was buying me books. And I kind of felt like it was a scam because, you know, she saw it as like, oh, as long as you want books, I'm happy to buy them for you. And I'm like, oh, I'm reading like the trashiest, like, young adult fantasy novels like these aren't like educational books in any way they were just like fun for me um so that's what I really liked and even in high school that's what I read and then my taste sort of changed like in college um and I don't read as much fantasy or fiction anymore even though once once in a while I'll read fiction I'm like oh yeah this is kind of what I love um but my reading habits definitely changed like I don't really read the way I used to and I kind of miss that um, but then it's also now I have a lot less time to do that. And I also, uh, 
working with writing and editing all the time, it can be exhausting to like look at text all day and then open up a book and see more text. So I actually probably watch more TV now than anything. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Sure. Um, so can you name like, uh, the, the um, non-guilty pleasure of your fantasy fiction reading life? The, non, the ones that aren't guilty pleasure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, something that you're like, I, I could say legitimately that was great writing. <laughs> or oh, okay, yes. Um, from when I was younger or from, like, about now? Uh, when you're younger and now. It'd be great to hear yeah. some. Uh... Um, I think one of my, my favorite books that I read was The Book Thief that I read in middle school. And that's still one of my favorite books um it's uh it's it takes place in world war during world war ii in germany and it's written the narrator of the book is death and it's written about this um young german girl and you know it's sort of a typical story like there's um her parents hide a jewish person in their basement and you know they have this relationship but i've always thought it was a really beautiful book um and i it was really you know uh eye-opening to me just the fact that the narrator was deaf and it was written in a way that was like the story was very engaging but it was also very like beautiful writing yeah that's great um other books in college i discovered a lot of haruki murakami and i like tried to read all his books but he writes really fast so i haven't been able to get through all of them yet um and he sort of does surrealist fiction um just really like bizarre stories. And I actually really like his book of short stories. Um, they're, they're really hard to describe, but they're, they're almost all set in Japan. And there's lots of like, I don't know, just sort of people like moving through the world and the world around them seems so strange. And like his main mm-hmm. characters are also all very normal. And like, they get sort of lost on these like, weird surreal adventures chasing like these interesting characters and That's cool. fantasy situations yeah do you, do you think and this is just me surmising but do you so travel for me is 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 at times a very surreal experience the people you're meeting and the the conversations you're getting in and just the things you're seeing even just these fantastic places do you feel like a character in one of those <laughs> one of those sto- short stories ever yeah sometimes your- <laughs> I mean, sometimes like in traveling, you just like every once in a while have like almost like a wake up moment of just like, wait, what am I doing? Like, you know, just that just comes from saying yes to a lot of different things. Like I remember once on a it was a previous trip through Mexico and it was through work um, and it was organized by the tourism board and they were having this big like horse show party. And like, it was like, sort of like a Mexican rodeo, but it was also like a corporate event kind of thing. And like, I don't really know why I was there (laughs) or why they had brought the journalist there. Um, But like, we all had sombreros and margaritas and we were watching this, like, this like ceremony of like people coming out on the horses. And it was just kind of something like, where am I? Like, why am I here? You know, because that's not something I would ever be like that's not something I would ever choose to do in my normal life to go to like a horse yeah. show and watch people parade around on horses. But, um, yeah. but it was fun and it was just kind of, yeah. So I still get those moments from time to time. Like, am I really here? Like, and also how did I get here? Like, you yes. know, 
That's great. That's great. Yeah, even even I mean, just the process of traveling itself. Not not so you're you're staying put in your location now for a while, but that just that tra- process of uh, from road trips to airplane travel. It's kind of a, a dream like experience because of your yeah. exhaustion. Even <laughs> exactly. So you're just so tired, and all of a sudden you wake up, and like everything's new and different. Um, yeah. And you've got jet lag, and yeah. But I I kind of love that feeling as well. Nice, nice. Yeah, I just I wonder if it puts you into this the, a little bit of that world that you that you used to love reading about. Yeah, and not not as crazy, and definitely you still have reality to deal with. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, I've been thinking about that too because um, I mean, I was into fantasy as a kid because you know I, it was like an escape for me. Like growing up in New Jersey, I did not find things around me to be very interesting and I was also my parents were pretty protective in terms of like I couldn't go many places on my own I always sort of had to be like chauffeured around or like you know watched like someone had to like always watch me um and in middle school I was in this after school program until the sixth grade where like we would stay like school would end at three and then you if your parents were late, you could go here and then your parents could come pick you up at six. So for those like extra yeah. three hours, I was sort of like stuck at the school. So I was never like allowed to roam the town on my own or like do anything like that. Um, sure. You know, so that was definitely an escape. And I feel like maybe I'm not so interested in fiction anymore because now I have more autonomy to go out and find something exciting to do. Sure, sure. You, you, the adventure is real. That's mm-hmm. great. Nice. So, so you're, you come out, you get that great internship, um, which is paid 40 hours a week. That sounds yes. like a good entry job for right after college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, how do you end up doing just your own thing? And right now it's, you're working freelance. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a, a whole other world, right? Yeah. It was a long journey, um, to go from the internship to, a full-time uh, benefits salaried position. Uh, but I was there for four years and moved through a lot of different positions and was sort of in charge of different things. Um, and, you know, I had the best perk of being able to travel for work and, you know, take these amazing trips that I could not have any other opportunity to take. Um, and then, you know, after working for, it was a really big, it was a small website, but it was owned by a larger company. It was owned by TripAdvisor. So there was a lot of like corporate structure and there were sort of, it sort of seemed like there was only so far I could go and things sort of moved very slowly. Um, And I had a friend who had gone freelance and she sort of, you know, was always telling me, always encouraging me to do it and talking about the freedom. And I was also getting kind of tired of, you know, I could go to so many, I could go to places, which I was really lucky to do, but I was kind of tired of coming home. You know, like I could go, you know, fly to London for a weekend, but for some reason I had to come home and be back in the office on Monday. And I was kind Mm. of like, well, what if I just stayed here? Like, what if I just stayed here as long as I possibly could, or just moved on to the next place? So I kind of wanted more freedom to go where I wanted to go and uh, not ask permission to take time off and not ask permission to be in a certain place to just be able to do that on my own. So that's sort of what propelled me is like knowing I would have 
that freedom to be where I wanted to be, which I enjoyed for a while before uh, the pandemic started. <laughs> sure, sure. So yeah, I'm sure that threw you off a little bit. But so how do you, um, I know you have some steady gigs that are part of your freelance life. Um, let me just talk about those for a little bit. Like what are your steadies that kind of guarantee you income or, you know, make you feel like, okay, I could keep doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, my steadiest right now is I'm a quality editor for a website called Trip Savvy, which means um, I update their old content. Uh, and it's still travel related, which I like, um, but it can be, um, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of work and it's, you know, editing other people's work. So my name doesn't always go on it at the end of the day, which is a big motivator for me. Uh, mm. And so a lot of it's just, you know, it's a lot of fact checking, like, if the article is about the weather in Paris in March, it's just making sure that information is still updated or that the links still work or, um, you know, if it mentions a certain place that that place is still open. Um, so sometimes it's fun because I end up on weird little internet rabbit holes. Um, other times it's kind of repetitive, but that's, but it's very consistent and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, yeah. So that's sort of like what I spend most of my time doing. Uh, so that, that would be the, the day job side of your kind of, uh, your, your freelance life. So that's kind that's of your definitely study. the day job. Yeah. That's interesting. So, so that, that's your guaranteed income. It's how many hours a week you put in for that. I'm doing 25 hours a week. Uh, nice. but we'll see if that changes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so then there, so you're, you're in Mexico. Um, do you just let people know you're there too, if they want something from that area, that region that you're staying in? Yeah, I have been letting people know and I sort of let people know. I post about it on social media um, because sort of let, letting people know like where I'm staying, especially if I'm living somewhere um, and like building my expertise on this destination in particular. Um and, but I also, it's not so much, I mean, I wish someone would come to me and ask me exactly what they want from me, but it's more, I more so have to like look for the stories and then, and then pitch them and then get an accepted. So part of coming here too, was just being in a place where I would be more open to finding stories that I could um, pitch to publications and sell to them essentially. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, in terms of that, like, your what is your proudest moment of where a pitch that you made actually was taken up? Um, my proudest was after a trip I took in 2018. No, it was after a trip I took in 2019. Um, I pitched a story to National Geographic about this park I had visited in Brazil uh, with my cousin, and my family is Brazilian, so I'm always Brazil's a special place that I'm always kind of exploring uh and it was just this amazing park that you know not a lot of people knew about it and when i searched it you know there was no there was nothing written in english about this place so to me it really felt like a discovery even though of course it's not you know it was discovered by the indigenous people first and then you know brazilians of course not just a random american uh, so I pitched it to National Geographic and I didn't hear back for them. And I just sort of assumed that, you know, it was a no and they were so big. But then 
later, three, about three months later in January, they got back to me and told me they were interested. Uh, so I wrote a draft for them in about a month and then it was supposed to go up earlier in 2020, but because of the pandemic, things got delayed, but it did end up going up at the end of the year in December of 2020. So almost more than a full year after I had pitched the story. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. And it's a great congratulation moment, you know, being the, your photo teacher, seeing your photograph in a National Geographic publication was awesome. (laughs) And you know, it's definitely a, a certain world of photography, but yeah, really the, one of the coolest worlds. And uh, yeah, I just I just recently saw some 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 kind of new angles of National Geographic too. They're definitely staying on the edge of photography world. Yeah, you see your writing and your photos combined. Love it, yes. love it, love it. Um, so that's yeah. I thought that might be your proudest moment. <laughs> I I gave you a chance. And it's funny. It's funny as you're trying to go through the year. I think all of us do this. You know. Like what year is it? Right. <laughs> when did that happen? Because twelve months of uh, COVID life, just like who knows what? Yeah, people they always talk about the people don't know what day of the week it is anymore. Totally. <laughs> so yeah. Not, not to mention the year. It was. So, I keep saying last year about things that happened two years ago, which I think yeah, is funny. Yeah. Well, because it's like life is on pause for a year, so it's like it yeah, exactly. Count. <laughs> That's great. And so that pitch to National Geographic, um, you know, was a cold pitch. You didn't have a connection. It was a cold pitch. Yeah. Um, I had, I, I had the right email address, but it was still a cold pitch. Um, you know, it wasn't to a form or a portal or anything, which, um, I kind of am totally against after, you know, having gone through that job application process and finding out my boss never got my resume going through a portal. So I have like, I'm convinced they just like incinerate my resume as soon as I put them in. Um, and also cause I'm like not very good at cover letters because I try to write my cover letters creatively. And I've heard you're actually supposed to just steal words from the job description and put them in your cover letter to like hack the computer system. And I was like, no, but I was trying to like show off my writing cause it's a writing job. And everyone's like, no, don't do that. That's not what the cover letter's for. Yeah, so because it, it's very possible AI determining whether or not your resume goes through. Yeah, right? I'm very against AI making determinations about my writing. <laughs> yeah, so it's like go directly to the source. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's good advice for you know it's 2021. Just how how to even get a job now is 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 so much run by algorithms rather than people. <laughs> yeah, know, it's so sad. But uh, yeah, that 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 you know, direct email or even phone call seems to be something that the human beings on the other side of it appreciate and definitely leads to opportunities. That's awesome. You are a testament to that. It's very <laughs> cool. Um, so beyond that, what, what other little like, uh, you know, I guess the consistent bites do you get for your, for your pitches of stories or, or, or people knowing where you are and asking you to do things? Um, is that, is there another description of that for your working life? Yeah, I sort of split everything up into I have like the editing gig and then I have um, and then I have sort of uh, other sort of gig or other stories I pitch. Like I write for Business Insider. I, I do a lot of roundups for them. Uh, and I've also written for the same website I edit for. I also contribute original stories from time to time. And but those are more news based. Um, but it kind of depends on, you know, what they're accepting. 
so a lot of it is like researching different publications and like making that connection. And also, you know, sometimes I try to ask an editor like what they're looking for, um, especially if I pitch a lot of times and don't get any responses or just get like a no. Um, just asking exactly what they're looking for can help. But uh, yeah. I wish I I definitely don't have as much time and energy to devote to that as I would like. Uh, so it's kind of a balance between the stuff that consistently brings in, you know, the consistent paycheck versus the more risky things, because you know, writing a pitch is a lot of work, um, especially if you want to tailor it to the publication, which of course increases your chances, but it's not a guarantee at all. So mm. it's, that's been, since I've been freelance, I've still been sort of navigating that aspect of you know, what it means to be a freelance writer and do a lot of pre-research on sort of spec. Yeah. Interesting. So how do you, how do you end up choosing uh, where you are in Mexico right now? Was that just someplace you always wanted to go or was there a little bit of a, a business move in there? Well, I saw that it was getting very popular. I mean, I don't know if you know, have heard much about it. It's kind of become like, um, uh, so it's kind of become like a pandemic party hotspot, um, which is not why I came here. I'm not going to parties. Like I'm really not, um, like I, I feel so uncool here, honestly, cause it's very hipster influencer life, but, um, it's, but you know, I, it drew to me cause it was also drawing a lot of digital nomads, which is a community I had like was sort of identifying with as I was traveling and looking for places where these digital nomads sort of gather because usually there's a lot of, there's good Wi-Fi and, you know, affordable accommodation and already like a community of expat people who are traveling a lot and you meet a lot of interesting people through these places. So I saw that this was becoming a new digital nomad hotspot. Um, and also because it had sort of some notoriety and it was the places people are going. Um, and there's kind of been a controversy in the travel writing world of, you know, whether people should still be covering travel when people are not supposed to be traveling. But at the same time, I don't think travelers are listening, are looking to travel writers for advice or, you know, like, I don't think anyone's waiting to find out what travel journalists are doing. I think people are just going on their vacations. So it's been kind of an interesting between like, well, you know, CDC says you shouldn't, but Mexico says they're open and all these hotels have safety precautions in place and people are kind of going anyway. So there's a journalism aspect of like, well, it's still happening. So someone should probably be writing about it. Um, but then yeah. there's a more ethical aspect of like, we should not be telling people it's okay to do that. But I also, in my opinion, I don't think anyone's, you know, listening to us about that kind of thing. You're not the, uh, the medical experts. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, tour, the tourism industry has been super hurt, too. So there's that other side of like a lot of economies that rely 100, you know, almost 100 percent on tourism are are we're struggling without tourists constantly coming sure. in. So it's a pretty complicated issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did do some travel in, in the summer of last year in the midst of this. And it was for, you know, I was invited to do a mural out in Minneapolis. Um and it was uh, it was a little hairy traveling for sure. Yeah. And but it, it was, you know, we did everything as best we could to to be mm -hmm. wearing the right masks to, 
you know, uh, trusting the airline that they were going to do the right thing and seat us a little separated from each other, all those things. Right. And, I, and I know I, I saw on your website, you, you were even updating kind of as part of your work, um, just what the travel restrictions are in certain states. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so that's a project I've been working on since last August. Um, I was sort of tasked with just keeping everything up to date. And uh, I've become very familiar with the State Department embassy web pages. And I think mm. they need an editorial overhaul because the information's not organized <laughs> very clearly. There was, a, there was a minute where I was like, should I apply to be, should I apply for the State Department just to get their website in shape? Because it was just bothering me. people Um, need this information (laughs) yeah and i was like especially i was looking at some other countries and i was like oh see this is a great website um other countries have worse websites but um yeah uh so just checking week to week every state and also um not every country in the world but a lot of the popular um countries that people are curious about tourism for um And it was kind of, it's kind of all evened out now, but the first few months things were changing so quickly as things reopened and everyone had different strategies, Um, especially in the U.S., just constantly revisiting what states are open and what governors are staying, are saying what. And, you know, so I sort of got a bigger sense of like, okay, um, you know, it's not the same everywhere in the world, you know, because I was always looking at what's going on in the other places in the world. And, you know, sometimes I would tell like my friends or my family here um, in the US, I was like, you know, we're the worst, right? Like we are so much bad than like every, everyone else. So I kind of have like a different perspective of just like always comparing or keeping track of like, maybe not the numbers, but at least the reopenings and how things were going. Sure. I think such an, and that becomes kind of, you know, the, the other side of, uh, you know, your kind of fun journalistic life, you know, as a traveler and, and writing about that, that beauty of places. And then all of a sudden it's this very kind of like data, data based, you know, analysis yeah. of, of, of poorly written state websites. <laughs> I mean, they're like, <laughs> it's just the organization could use some work. <laughs> sure. And then or, just, um, deciphering that for to be palatable for people because people do not want to do what you had to do to get the information no i've read i've been on so many like governor's websites like i know i could probably i think i would do pretty well if you gave me a quiz on all the governors of all 50 states (laughs) which which like i never thought i would be able to do but i'm just like oh yeah West Virginia, Jim Justice. Any new press releases this week? Nope, nothing's changing. All right, move on to the next. Move on to the next state. That's great. So this was just a, a something you did on your own, or were you a, a, someone gave you that assignment? Um, this was an assignment for Trip Savvy to okay. keep it updated, and I still keep it updated every week. Um, there's been less to update recently, which I think is a good thing. So hopefully, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So you've you've not burned any bridges, you know, you've kept your connection with your original job after college, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the people you work with, I'm sure you're still friendly with. And, and you've also, you know, experienced the industry enough to understand how to navigate it on your own. It's kind of a, a nice way to live. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a great thing. So it's cool that you get to make a live in doing this. And you know, in the end, you're, it sounds like you have different compartments. You know, this is kind of my most passionate version of work. And this is my, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's, you know, I still want to 
try to sneak in reading. Yeah. <laughs> which is your first love. I might kid. have to take a week off if I want to read. <laughs> sure, so you don't deal with so many words. Um, would you say would you say there's any other like little I, I guess like passion project that's on the side or even on the photography end of your job? Um, is that kind of the the I mean easier in that it's 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 just kind of uh you know, you, you see, you, you make photographs and you can quickly, more quickly edit. So I, I'd love to hear a little bit about that or any sort of other, like just kind of passion side, side product or stolen hour type thing that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I haven't really talked about the photography that sort of comes in when I'm traveling. Um, especially when having been able to sort of travel more on my own or like on my own accord, go where I want photography has been more played more of a role because like photography is kind of like how I discover a place like when I have my camera I'm more motivated to like walk around for longer and you know go down different streets and things like that um I haven't had like any side projects recently um uh, I did decide last when I was in Portland that I sort of came across the re- I had the realization that I didn't have a lot of photos of people from my travels like my friends um and I decided to sort of start a new project where I would ask people if I could take their portrait before I go and sort of have that like little token of them so I did that in Portland and I had plans to do it here but then I think I have to be more proactive because I had friends who like left very suddenly um and I was sort of waiting for like an official like end to the relationship. And all of a sudden they were like, I have to go. Like, this is the last time you're ever going to see me. And like, I didn't have the chance to ask them. Um, So I'm going to try to do that before I, (laughs) before I leave here. Um, Just because I never really liked taking portraits, but it's something I kind of want to get better at. Uh, And I still don't really like taking portraits, uh, which is why I'm offering them for free. I actually, after college, I also, I had a friend who was a fashion blogger. And I took photos for her blog, um, but I didn't really enjoy it that much, which is kind of my where my relationship with portraits sort of left off. Unless mm. it's like a travel portrait where it's someone I meet and I ask them to take their picture. But this sort of style of photography, like of taking shots for people where, you know, they're paying you to make them look good was always like a struggle for me. I also had another gig. Um, for a website that was, uh, you could buy, you could hire a photographer to take your photos for your dating profile. So I had like three gigs for that in college. Um, and I also didn't like it because it was just that, it was just a different way of taking photos. And I don't think I had like the bedside manner for it as a photographer. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I hear you. I, I've tapped into like doing commercial work photography wise and, being the trained documentary photographer, I, I'm just like, this is so fabricated. I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So journalism, you know, even just local journalism, photojournalism was a better match for me than like the, you know, the, basically images that were for advertising. And I'm like, uh, you know, I was photographing, yeah. you know, maybe not the right look that they wanted or, you know, they wanted me to ask strangers I was photographing for releases. And I'm like, ah, this isn't really my world. I I just want to uh-huh. photograph these people because it's good storytelling. And so it right. sounds like that's kind of where you want to get back to just portraiture that's honest and, and not so much about 
making people look good, not making them look bad, but you know, definitely about just the reality of life, you know, more, more, right. do, more documentary, documentary in style. Exactly. Nice. More about documenting them as I, as I knew them. Um, yeah. Cause that's what I struggled with too. Like if someone didn't like the photos I, they, I took, it would be hard for me and be like, but that's, but that's what you look like, you know, <laughs> like, which I don't know if that's, <laughs> I don't know if that was bad, but it was hard for me. I mean, of course, sure. like when I see a photo of myself, I was like, Oh, this person didn't do a good job or whatever but like uh meeting that person's expectation it it was like a really it was a really big demand um and I think a lot I mean I've observed some other photographer I have a friend who's like really good at it and I think it's a lot in how you interact with the person and encourage them uh but that's kind of difficult for me and I I do remember having a photo assignment in college to take pictures of strangers. And like, that was one of the hardest for me because a lot of the kids and the other students in my class, they, you know, actually approached people and asked to take their pictures. And while my pictures were like from far away and they were like these tiny, tiny people. Um, and I tried asking this one woman and she said no. And then I didn't ask anyone else. Um, and even today, like if there's people in my photos, they're usually like very tiny and like very in the distance. <laughs> so I think that I don't know if that says more about me or maybe that's my my style. Sure. Well, you know, it's it's comfort and you have to do what's comfortable, especially if you're on the move, you know, doing different things. Mm-hmm. I, just so you know that I, I only got one no from a stranger, maybe two. <laughs> you just got that first. <laughs> yeah. exactly. maybe, it's worth, maybe it's worth another try, especially as you're you know, traveling and, you know, just, uh, you know, letting people, there's some people that want you to photograph them, you know, you have to just mm-hmm. find them, find those people. Like even in New York, I would just people, you know, give you, give you the eyes when they see the camera. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's almost like, you know, almost like having a, a bigger camera is useful because people are like, Oh, you're legit. <laughs> I want, I want to be in your picture. I don't know where it's going, but I want to be in it. Sometimes, but then I feel like other people are more suspicious. Like I remember once going into a grocery store and they told me I couldn't take pictures of anything. And I was like, but if I had my phone, no one would even like look at me. Um, But it is nice sometimes if I'm in a certain environment, people will let me like go to the front if I have my camera. And I'm like, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, especially, I mean, in, in, in the travel world too, like there's performers who definitely want, you know, you to photograph them and things like that. So. Yeah, you get mm-hmm. get a little closer to them. They might want some money though. Yeah, I usually you have to pay like two dollars for those photos. Yeah. Where's my dollar? I I went I went to photograph someone and I didn't have money, and I was like, and they got all mad at me. They were so sweet right before that, and they're like, mm-hmm. "You took our picture. You got some cash?" And I'm like, "No, sorry." I remember uh, there was this have... like um, guy in a goat costume in Spain, and I was taking his picture, and then he like moved away from me and like hid his costume, and I was like, oh, I didn't no. know that he wanted money, and my friend was like, oh no, you can't just take his picture. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, I think it's there's a with all those street performers, they want a little something. It's like the yeah. unspoken. It's cool. Do you have any photographer that stands out to you as someone that influences you or someone you look up to? trying to think at the top of my head right now um i mean i follow in a lot of national geographic photographers on instagram and i also like following photographers who like do things that like i can't really do like i really like um jimmy chin who's like an adventure photographer for nat geo and he 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 made the movie free solo um 
So he's always like on helicopter, like taking a helicopter to Greenland and like taking all these like massive adventure pictures, uh, which I find like, you know, I would like to do that, but like, I'm not, I also am not a mountaineer. So like, it's kind of cool to follow photographers who can like get access to those places you can't. Yeah. Um, it might be worth like reaching out like, Hey, can I tag along? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe after like 10 emails. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the Jamie D email train every yeah. eight days. <laughs> Who is this Jamie D Toronto? <laughs> right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate just, just hearing about your, your world, your industry, and also how you've turned your your passions into a, a career it's really fun and definitely a, an interesting world you know and you being young in it and kind of you know i love the term digital nomad i don't know if i've ever heard that oh, really? <laughs> it's just, yeah it's like uh yeah just i mean it makes sense right go places yeah. where you can actually do your job from wherever it is it's good wi-fi and it's also got the coolest things ever mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny how you get immersed in something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, most people don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Jamie, just uh, just hear from you. Like, how do we follow you? How do we see what you do? And uh, just let people know right now. You can follow me on Instagram. Um, I usually, I'm always posting to my stories and sometimes to my feed, but mostly to my stories, what I'm up to. And then I also post new articles there, but you can't click, click through because Instagram sucks at that so you can also follow me on twitter where you will be able to click through to the article nice all right and your instagram is uh it's jamie de toronto at it's instagram.com slash jamie de toronto and also my twitter is also jamie de toronto so just how it's right so just your name and then your website same jamie de toronto.com i've got all of those locked down (laughs) yes you own them that's great it's great all right. Well, thanks so much. It was great to talk to you. I, I definitely keep in touch and, uh, you know, love to keep keep following and seeing what you're doing. You know, enjoy the rest of your time. How long, how much longer in Mexico? Um, I'll be in Tulum for another month and then I'm going to spend another three months um, on the Pacific coast in Oaxaca. So nice. I still need to figure that out, but I'll be here until July is the plan. But we'll see what right. happens. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, all the best. Safe travels. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah, it's great. Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to All right, next week on episode nine, we have uh, Jamie's old teacher, a retired teacher now, Dr. Patricia Wilk, Pat Wilk. Um, Pat is my uh, colleague from uh, back in the day. We used to teach our documentary for social change class together. Um, she was the journalist and creative writing teacher. So a really fun conversation with her, and she breaks out some of her own writing and um, just talks a lot about teaching and education and what she's learned um, in those days so listen in if you're digging our soundtrack song and check out Jay Agnes's music anywhere out there streaming online and Mike Ferrari's cool album art always good to support him Mike Ferrari 10 on Instagram 
All right. See you guys next time. Thank you.